Hello and welcome to Seen Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. The FA Cup third round delivered shocks on the pitch and the occasional shocking decision as well. We'll pick through some of the most interesting ones to show you uh, about some tricky offside calls, goal line decisions, handball as well. Plus some fans may think referees have had it in for their club for some time, but what should happen when the clubs themselves start getting tangled in the messy world of conspiracy theories. I'm Mike McCarthy, broadcaster and football journalist who uh, may be heading to Oakwell a game too late this week after Barnsley's 5-4 win over Barrow in the third round on uh, Saturday. With me, as always, former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. Keith, before we get into all the decisions this weekend, that Barnsley 5-4 game against Barrow, I mean, incredible. What was the highest scoring game you ever officiated? I think I think it's got to be seven nil. <laughs> I can't remember the game, but I, I, it sticks in the mind. Seven. Uh, having said that, there were the odd occasion on a Sunday morning when I sort of volunteered to take the kids' game, and that might have been twenty three something. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, yeah. let's um, let's start with an email we got. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is where you can get in touch with the show. Uh, this from Stuart. Thanks for getting in touch, Stuart. Says, loving the show. I'm a uh, 56-year-old uh, level two referee. So definitely no longer in the spring of youth, uh, but still keen to get a uh, be a better referee and enable the enjoyment of players, assuming, of course, they come with the intent to play. The question I have is related to a skill error after advantage has been played. Uh, as you discussed, a referee will try and wait a few seconds at least before blowing for a foul if no advantage has accrued. Now, I have uh, had a few occasions where a second or two after I call advantage, so maybe six or seven seconds after the foul, the player makes a dumb pass or turns over possession. Now, in rugby, referees can call it back, but in football, I can't do that. What are your thoughts, Keith, on that? I think it's a really good point. I think that what you can find is that the greater the experience of referees is that referees can extend that time almost as long as they want in truth. So you've got a level of inconsistency amongst a group of referees. Um, I, th I think that the law is clear that it, it allows a few seconds um, and, it, and we should stay there rather than go on forever. But in reality, once you've applied that advantage as a referee, you've got those few seconds to come back if it doesn't accrue. But then it leave it. Park it, it's given. The players have not taken advantage of it. That's not down to you as an error. It's down to them. And so that's part and parcel of the game. So I wouldn't worry too much. I think that when I, I like referees that apply advantage. I like referees that stretch the time and then are prepared to come back if it doesn't accrue. But I think there is a there is a time limit as to whether the referee will lose his own credibility it's mm. a great question i mean the whole aspect of advantage throws up many many questions when to play it when i'm when i'm uh, coaching young referees i ask them to look at a field of play and break it into three thirds vertically the goal the goal penalty area in in your career development treat that as red so that so that you don't apply an advantage to a defender who then makes a mess and a goal results against them. So treat that area and that zone as red, right? The penalty area and that area in terms of a, a defending advantage. 
Then we go to the middle third, um, and in that area, it, it you know, you're talking about advantage, possession. You're talking about whether it, whether it's sensible because you've got to, you know, if you apply too much advantage, you can lose control. So there are controlling elements. There are tactical elements, you know. It's unwise to apply advantage if it's a tough encounter and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're having to work hard to maintain control. Keep advantage low. And then in that final third, the attacking portion of the field around the opponent's penalty area, be prepared to take treat that as the green area where these are definite advantage opportunities that can apply. So it's basic. Um, it's a great question. We've all applied advantage at whatever level and whatever game. We've applied it and it's not accrued. And we suddenly say to ourselves mentally about the player, idiot. <laughs> and of course, there's <laughs> no guarantee on. that they'd do any better from the free kick either, I guess, is the other, is the <laughs> exactly. other side of it. Exactly. Stuart, thanks so much for your question. Really appreciate yeah. it. Hello at seenthemingiven.co.uk is where you can get in the in touch with the show uh, during the week. So, um, should we start with a couple of interesting offside calls from the FA Cup third round, Keith? Uh, Newcastle United beaten at home by Cambridge United of League One, one of the shocks, if not the shock, of the third round. The Cambridge goal, though, they took forever looking at this uh, via VAR um, to work out whether there should have been an offside given in the build-up to Joe Ironside's goal. It was given. Why was it allowed to stand, Keith? It's an interesting aspect of law. And the reason it was given was that the referee and the VAR has judged that John Joe Shelby, a defender in this situation, has made a deliberate play for the ball. And as, as a consequence, that's effectively played the, new, the, the Cambridge player onside. And this is, this is one aspect of the law, this, this whole action of deliberate play by, by a defender. Um, you know, it, it, it was brought in really to stop too many goals being ruled out. And here is a typical example where it makes it, it's very difficult for a fan to understand that law. And, and even I was watching the game and I've gone offside. Uh, and then when they start to review it and you see John Joe Shelby's action, you know that the law supports that decision that was made by the referee. The VAR did well, actually. I can understand why he took some time because he was looking at that incident and probably played... You know, what impact did that active approach by John Joe Shelby have on the decision? It's one, you know, you can get 10 referees in a room and you'll probably get 60, 40 on that. Mm. That's that's the, that's the difficulty. And then you switch to the West Ham game. Well, so yeah. I'm what, supporting what the ten, referee yeah, on What that. are your 10 referees giving in the, uh, well, the offside call for, <laughs> for West Ham I, Leeds, I, which was given? Yeah, well... You know, I've always had a view about offside. This is a personal view, and that is give the give the benefit of the doubt to the forward. I've I always believed that that should be applied. Um, but on this one, I think that, uh, again, Bourne was in an offside position, So, but that's not an offence. But again, he's made a, a deliberate play 
Yes, this is the least the defender ball. who makes a sliding challenge to prevent a, yeah. a goal-bound shot, which then, yeah. if you haven't seen this, deflects towards Bowen, who scores. So yeah. It, it's and a, so yeah. this is this is the part why you, you get you get these calls, because it's interpretation on the day. Um, I I think kind of would have... I, I think from an assistant referee's point of view, I, I clearly have flagged that because I wouldn't have seen the entire action. But this is this is brings up the whole issue of um, why I, I'm I'm not a, a supporter of the FA's action with regard to VAR and goal line technology when it comes to the FA Cup. I think in te- in technology terms, I want every team that's playing home or away, to have that opportunity to either have VAR on goal line technology. But if they don't, then the entire competition, until they get to Wembley and the semis in the final, okay, introduce goal line technology and VAR. But at the moment, it's it's hit and miss. Yeah, I mean, I guess there might be other people arguing, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I like to do that sometimes, Keith, um, that if you've got the technology available, why not use it? Why not try and get the best possible decisions where you can? I appreciate it's not fair for everyone and that yeah. some grounds will have it and some won't, but is it not better overall to try and get the best decisions where you can do that? What I've seen this weekend, I've seen relaxed referees. I've seen a more entertaining game. I've seen the questions being asked. We, we'll never get rid of we we believe, you know, I mean, if my straight answer to the West Ham goal, by the way, was it should have been ruled out offside. I mean, that's my that that was my opinion at the time. Mm. I still I still edged towards that. It didn't look right. It feels scenario. offside. I totally get where you where you it, are on that one. You know, I and, totally and this it. is this is this is the dilemma that we, we face. And it's 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 only and I suspect that I don't know, maybe with no VAR, that would have that would have been, you know, disallowed. Who knows? That's that's the dilemma. That's why I posed that question. Mm. But I just I just think, you know, don't ever tell me that, and and that the FA Cup doesn't take away the passion, the enjoyment, and what I think we've seen this weekend is. Uh, is, is really on many in many occasions some excellent refereeing, some terrific games, fans enjoying themselves, even losing but still enjoying the day out. You know, I mean, I I looked at and wanted the Chesterfield result just to go Chesterfield's way. I know that's a dream, and and I don't support Chesterfield. I know the people that have you know, in particular John Crew, who who's the the, the guy that makes that club tick, and you know he's taken that that particular club from almost the point of it going out of extension like Bury, uh, extinction like Bury, to a point where it's now a club owned by the fans. It, in his wildest dreams, he probably didn't think that it would happen. And then we we see all the build-up of the FA Cup, the coaches, 6,000 fans from Chesterfield, Almost every fan that visits Terrific the ground. Terrific scenes going as well, to, that uh, consolation goal from uh, Asante too. Oh, I thought it was magnificent. I mean, I, I just, I, it put a smile on everybody's face. But I guess they had a great day. And the other side of that was um, Chelsea have 
should take massive plaudits. They treated the players, first of all, the first team and everybody with respect. But what probably people are not aware is that they invited all the academy players of Chesterfield to their academy at Chelsea, which is some place, I can tell you. Mm. And they they involved all the kids in playing and training and coaching sessions before that FA Cup tie took place. Oh, terrific. I thought that was a massive, massive game for football this weekend. Brilliant stuff. Absolutely love that. Um, Now, you mentioned goal line technology a few moments ago. West Ham threw, and they're going to play Kidderminster Harriers of the sixth tier of English football, the National League North. A 2-1 win for them at Agborough. No goal line technology there, but the the winning goal, uh, uh, did it cross the line? I, I, I mean, I've watched this replay several times, and the only thing I can think is the referee or the assistant referee has gone, I can't see the ball outside the goal, therefore it must be in. I I tell you that that ball crossed the line. I'm convinced that that was a goal. I thought it was a, it was a brilliant game. I mean, you know, I listen, you know, quite often I get more enjoyment actually listening to the games on the radio. So I listened to this game on the radio. The, the commentary was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. You know, the commentator was absolutely... I think it might have been John Murray. It was, yeah. It was John Murray doing yeah. the game. Yeah, it's, it's he terrific. was just in, they were and the and the the highlights guy. They were brilliant. They they got into it from minute one, and it was a great occasion. It was a goal uh, because the referees declared it a goal, and he's the sole decision maker. The reality is that they they're back into old style refereeing, and that is to where the, the assistant referee will have been directly behind the goalpost, the, the corner flag, sorry, looking at the goal, and he's judged and got it accurate that the ball has crossed the line. It, it's one of those where somebody's got to make a decision. I think they got it right. I've, I've stopped the replay button, and I think I'm convinced the ball's go over the line. So good result. Good game. Excellent. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad we're going to see Kidderminster get a, a real plum tie as well uh, on the yeah. back of that. Um, I felt uh, a bit sorry for Cambridge after their, uh, no disrespect to Luton, but I'm, I'm sure Cambridge were hoping for uh, a slightly bigger name, but maybe they'll uh, make it to the fifth round. Who knows? A um, yeah. couple of handball decisions I want to get into as well from the weekend. Um, very good spot from the referee uh, you mentioned in the Liverpool Shrewsbury game, um, but Cardiff Preston as well. We'll come to that in a second. But first of all, the Liverpool Shrewsbury one though, because uh, Shrewsbury taking yeah. the lead, uh, at Anfield, a bit of a shock lead, but eventually Liverpool turning it around with a bit of help from the spot, but a good spot from the referee here. Yeah, I thought this was brilliant. Uh, and I make the point that on, on occasions, when David Coote, the referee, joined the Premier League, I thought that he it was a breath of fresh air. He seemed to be fairly confident, get around the park really well. Then for some unknown reason, he started coasting and, and falling short of the penalty area by 10 yards and... You know, I'm there. I've arrived. I'm, I'm, you know, almost with with a degree of arrogance. Um, I'm a, I'm a Premier League referee. I think he's, you know, when a referee believes he's got there, invariably in business, if you think you're there, you start to regress because that's the only route that you go on. And I think he regressed his performances. But in fairness, at Liverpool, he looked confident. He was mobile. This was a great spot. It's not easy at, at this level 
you know, to detect handballs of that type. He got it absolutely spot on. Closing stages of Cardiff Preston, though, uh, a oh. handball claim. Um, now, this is an arm up in the air. The ball hits the arm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the referee decides that it is a pre uh, Preston player who has fouled the Cardiff defender in this occasion, um, and therefore that's why the arm was raised, and and that is why no penalty was awarded. Um, Keith, what's your view here? The referee's in an absolutely excellent position. Remember that this is added time. He's a few yards from the penalty area. He's looking directly at it. I don't think there's a push by the defender at all. Uh, the, 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 I don't see the foul. I see the handball. This is a this is a clear handball. Preston should feel well aggrieved that a clear handball wasn't given. You know, physically, uh, Andy Waldemar gets around the pitch. He's 57. He, he was a replacement ref for Simon Hooper. So he gets around the, re the field, but I wonder whether he's mentally fatigued. You know, you give what you see. He's seen something, or has he? Because the video doesn't support what he gave. Mm. Preston but should have had a, a penalty kick. The only excuse I can think of, and well, you tell me whether it's a valid one or not, is not so much about the foul, but whether in the referee's mind, because it happened so quickly, he suddenly thought, did that hit the defender's head first or did it hit the arm first? Because if it hits the head first and then hits an arm, it's not a penalty. Yeah, I think that in that in that situation, he's he's probably not got it as clear as we have when we look at it two or three times. In fairness to him, he is a very experienced official. Um, yeah, he got it wrong. Grappling is something that we've uh, talked oh. about an awful lot um, on on scenes we've given over the the weeks and months that we've been doing this podcast. And and by the way, thank you for everyone who is uh, uh, joining us every week to do this. It's been uh, it's been great seeing. Uh, so many of you get involved in the program. And I'm sure many people listening will have that age-old question of why grappling in the box isn't punished more often. We saw a very good example in the Nottingham Forest Arsenal game of Ben White having his shirt almost pulled off his back, but no decision there. But in the Leicester-Watford game, a bit of grappling and holding on Yannick Vestergaard did result in a penalty for, for Leicester City against Watford in their FA Cup tie. So what did you make of those two incidents, Keith? Well, I think what it sums up is referees are ignoring often offences in the penalty area. There isn't a consistency. We have holding, pulling, and then we have unfair impeding, blocking, uh, taking place. So here, I, I mean, this is a this is a clear shirt pull. You know, this is a this is an offence. This has to be awarded. It wasn't. So he's got it wrong. I think that of all the referees in the Premier League, Mike Dean is the one that's more most consistent in penalising offenders when they do pull in the penalty area or they do grapple. He's, he's consistent if you look across his, his veins. So good on him to actually penalise it. Then, of course, you go to Burnley and you've, it's become a tradition now that, that either block, unfairly impede the goalkeeper and they, were, they succeeded in that because Pope was aggrieved that the ball had gone in the back of the net. He didn't save it. Was he looking for an excuse that there are, you know, I mean, ultimately the goalkeeper's got to see some strength, but he was impeded. More often than not, referees are not, not penalising that. So there's this inconsistency that 
you know, get a group of referees in the room, discuss it and see how we can get to a consensus of opinion in terms of referees, how we're going to punish it. Or are we going to continue to ignore it? Because Mike Dean needs some support. He needs not just himself going out there and awarding these incidents when they take place. He needs the rest of the referees in that group to do the same. Requires quite a bit of bravery now, doesn't it, to, to, to give those sort of things because players have, I guess, got quite used to being able to, to get away with an awful lot in the penalty area. It's a nonsense. And look, it's not been going on for the one year, two years. It was going in. It was going on when I was in charge of PGMR. So, so I, 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 I could have been more active. I mean, I had a long discussion with a with a top journalist at the time, the late Hugh McIlvenny, wonderful Scottish uh, voice, uh, and he penned the, he penned the word grappling for me, um, and it was taking place at that time, and we. You know, we looked at it, we discussed it, and we started to penalise it. But what really turned it, I think, was when Howard Webb in the Euro Championships awarded a penalty kick against Poland. And and that really stirred the pot because the president of Poland threatened him. And that brought out real problems from Howard's own personal security, his family security, Um and I think all of a sudden, one or two referees probably thought, I'm going to ignore that. I'm not going to fall into the same problems of Howard. But look, the law is clear. Holding is an offence. It should be penalised. Some concerning incidents uh, in the FA Cup this weekend as well. Objects being thrown onto the pitch um, mm. in the whole Everton game. Uh, the referees stopped the game to, to talk to somebody in high visibility jacket about bottle throwing uh there was a bottle thrown as well at michael alise of crystal palace and their game at millwall um alise perhaps ill-advised in the way that he reacted to it as well this is something that actually we're seeing a little bit more often or at least it feels like we are i seem to remember that uh, there was a a burnley player not too long ago at leeds who uh, might have been hit by an object thrown if i remember this yes. correctly someone will yeah. email me if i've got that wrong um yeah so it, it is this something that's creeping back in? Because uh, there was something actually that was in the news uh, this week as well about um, venues may in the future have a legal duty to put more security measures in place to protect people uh, from terror attacks. But presumably that would also mean any objects you're not supposed to bring into a football stadium would be perhaps more stringently policed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that, that could be uh, a huge cost to, to football clubs if that legislation is passed. I mean, at the moment, they take a reasonable view of it, but that would that would ultimately be airport-type airport screens and, you know, get out your pockets and go through the system. Mm. Um, that would really impact greatly on a football match. I think the bottle-throwing cannot be ignored. I think the FA, the Football League and the Premier League need to get their heads together and resolve or attempt to resolve the issue. The, the, the facts are this, that there are sufficient cameras trained on the spectators by the police. There is a command centre that is taking the observations. The reason the referee's gone to the, the, the side of the field is to speak to the ground commander at every game, and he will have brought that to their attention. He will have almost certainly handed the object to that ground commander who would then put it in a plastic bag and it would go to forensic checks. 
the police would then intervene later by through the system being able to identify the the, the fanu through the object so i think there is a there is an issue it's got to be addressed fans have got to be aware of their duty um you know we've moved re- in recent weeks to standing only in some you know in some areas on uh, that's that's under if you like an experimental phase i think we all know that you can actually throw an object more easily if you're standing rather than sitting that might work against that that particular experiment i think it's just too dangerous for the, for the player and for the match official mm. and we're going back to the 70s i mean i can i can remember giving an offside decision at uh, Nottingham Forest against John Robertson. And within a matter of seconds, I've got something like five or six quid in loose coins around me. Some of those had hit me. They were a bit painful and I smiled at it at the time. But we shouldn't smile because if I was facing the other way, like players are, and it hits in the eye, there's there's a strong risk of somebody being severely injured here. So... It's got to be treated seriously and it's got to be dealt with. And it is three's too many, one's too many. So the FA have got to act. Just in terms of how players respond to this as well. I mean, Michael Lee says he's a young lad um, and he it almost seems to gesture, uh, you know, towards the, the Millwall fans in that area, almost as if he was uh, happy for, for more stuff to come at him. I don't think that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to, I guess, show that he hadn't been affected by the fact that a bottle had been thrown his, his yeah. direction. But yeah. I, And I'm sure he'll learn from that. But what advice would you give players in that situation, you know, when they, when they are um, essentially having to deal with objects being thrown at them from the stands? I think their, their route is quite clear, and that's to the match referee. I think the match referee's got to remain alert as the assistant's got to remain alert as the referees did in these in these instances and and go through the right channels you know take the appropriate action i think um i think from a, a refereeing point of view you've just got to take a great deal of care um from a player's point of view try not to react you know and and yeah he's a young guy he'll somebody will whisper in his ear to to hopefully take a bit of uh, care in future. A couple more things I wanted to talk about. We need to bring out some praise. Praise Mike Dean earlier for an excellent decision. Uh, another significant moment in the refereeing career of Rebecca Welsh as well, uh, taking charge of uh, Birmingham City Plymouth in the FA Cup third yeah. round this weekend, Keith. Yeah, I think it. I, you know, we're going to get to a point, aren't we, in football where it, it's not the highlight, if you like, it's going to be the norm. Yeah. And I think we're working fairly quickly towards that. You know, anybody that's a trailblazer has got a great deal of responsibility. And and that that is very much, you know, I mean, I've, I've had dealings with, with Wendy Toms and others in the past, and, and they've created that pathway. Rebecca's taking it far, far further. Um, she's delivering good performances. You know, this, this was another good performance. She gets around the field well. She's clear in her decision-making. Communication is good. You know, it's that part of the world that in the Northeast that, that creates these quality officials. She's a quality official. She's, she's, she's earned the right to be there. 
and she's demonstrating why she's got the right. She's got courage. I mean, the, the two yellow cards that result in the red was spot, absolutely spot on. You know, you can't manage those incidents. Um, you, you have to do what you have to do, and she did it. So I think it was a really good, solid performance. I think she's had a really good introduction. Hey, and who knows? I mean, I hope that when she sits down and she's setting her goals and targets, those smart objectives, specific, measurable, achievable, related over time, when those objectives are sat down and the targets are made, that in that long-term goal, she's not just looking for being an international referee within a women's game, but in the men's game. And who knows? She's heading, you know, could look for the Premier League. Uh, you know, the pathway's got to be open. And there's young referees out there who are thinking about becoming referees. You can get a great deal of enjoyment out of officiating. I certainly hope that uh, career develops as it continues to follow the trajectory that has been very, very well uh, set at the moment and is particularly striking. Um, wanted to ask you about this uh, as well, Keith, before we go. Um, there have been, I mean, if you go on social media a lot, you will see from fans of almost every club uh, the idea that uh, referee X, Y or Z has got some kind of agenda or, you know, there's all there's all sorts of conspiracy theories that go on. It com- becomes slightly more concerning when clubs start to get involved in this sort of thing. This is from the Rail Betis Twitter feed, the English version of their Twitter feed anyway from yesterday. Uh, Rail Betis have always been absolutely respectful with the referees and their decisions, but what we've seen today is incomprehensible. The job of a referee is to be fair and just, not the disgrace we've seen today at Balakas. A mistake is understandable, but one error after another, all in the same direction, damaging the rules, cannot be understood. There is no possible explanation. Um, At the time of recording, that tweet is still on the internet. They haven't deleted it, um, which, you know, given it's nearly 18 hours old, I think, since it's been up, um, I find slightly surprising, but I mean, this is a really damaging route to go down, isn't it? For for clubs to start getting involved in this and calling out referees publicly. Yeah, I think first of all, I'd, I'd make the point that I never question the integrity of the match officials. I know in England that we have systems in place, checks and balances that are very clearly there, because you know it's a tradition over many years that you know around the world. English referees are respected for fairness and just uh, actions on the field of play. We're human, we make mistakes, as I rightly, we in this show, point out on many occasions. Um, I think for a club to make this sort of statement is absolutely appalling. Um, Any competition in the world, wherever it's played, has a route to express their concerns about a player's performance or a club's behaviour, whatever, And the channels are open. So this club can go to the Spanish League, the Spanish FA, and they could actually raise their concerns. That then allows the the FA uh, governing body uh, to actually interrogate closely that referee's performance on a minute-by-minute review, not just over the 90 minutes, not over that big decision. How was he dealing himself with the games? What was the lead-up? Has he any history with that club? All those sort of scenarios. You know, um, even check his bank balance to to ensure that there are no integrity issues. Mm. 
Um, so all those things are basically in place. And I, I think to go out publicly as a club to say what they've said is, is absolutely appalling. It's just, it's not on. Now, the referee may, have, may well have had a very poor performance, but you've got channels to actually express that. And you've got, give the, give the authorities the opportunity to actually interrogate privately behind the scenes because they've actually castigated this referee. And no doubt, whoever selects the referees have now got a decision. Is he going out next next week to referee another game? Well, yeah, this is the, this is the thing, isn't it? And, and, you know, I haven't seen the decisions in this game, but really, it doesn't matter. You know, unless there is some extraordinary evidence that Real Betis have that somehow this official has, you know, was was bent in some way, and there's, as far as I can tell, absolutely no evidence that they have of that. It doesn't really matter, you know, what the decisions were in the game. If you make a statement like that, I mean, books should be thrown at you. Well, uh, the, what Real Betis uh, officials should actually look at is that the referees operates under the laws of the game and the laws of the game under law five gives him that authority he's the sole decision maker so that that in a sense says you have to accept what the referees in front of you we don't as fans as as ex-referees or whatever we all have opinions that's football we have opinions and views i think this is a step further this is a this is a you know you know, we've we've had it. You know, we've I can't remember a, a case in England where that has ever come through. We've we've had the odd manager's comment, haven't we, that says, "Don't particularly want to see this referee again," sort of scenario. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? The FA or the PGML put that same referee on that club again. It it doesn't it doesn't wash in that scenario. But you know, it takes a referee years and years to build a reputation, and it, and and this is really damaged and tarnished this referee's reputation because they're questioning clearly in what was being said they're questioning his integrity they're saying that all the decisions went one way well hopefully that is something that gets resolved very very quickly uh, Keith yeah. uh, before we go um, just to say if thank you very much if you sent in your list of top five referees uh, we're going to go I've got time to do it this week but we've got a bit more time to kind of digest it next week in the programme so if you want to send Keith your top five referees, you can do that on Twitter or indeed you can send us an email. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk. Uh, that is where you can send any questions you have for Keith as well. If like Stuart, you want to get something off your chest or get Keith's view on something or indeed any other scenarios you'd like us to discuss, that is where you can get in touch. And it's also uh, where you can uh, send us uh, any other information you think we might need to take a look at or uh, anything we haven't spotted during the week that you think it's worth discussing. And of course, if you enjoy the show and you'd like us to do more of this uh, and you'd like us to keep going, uh, give us a, a rating or a review uh, wherever it is you get your podcast. It helps other people discover the show. And uh, thank you, as always, for your company and sticking with us right till the end. We will see you next time. <laughs>